Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is Evie. Uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my name is Jared Krizoska. I don't think I'm a person that curses a lot. Heart just goes out to everybody. I'm excited. Hi. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Um, today I have another author that I just love and enjoy listening to, not only about books, just about life in general. Um, he is connected to so many other authors um, based on the work that he's been doing um, in the industry. Can you please introduce yourself? Yes, um, I am Lamar Giles. I am a, a children's author. I write young adult, all sorts of stuff, mystery, contemporary. I write middle grade fantasy. I've written short stories that range from everything to science fiction to horror. Um, I just always enjoy telling stories. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to do it for a living and I'm happy to be on the podcast. I'm excited to have you. And I think one of the things um, that I'm super interested in is just how do you become so versatile as a writer? And on top of that, be really good at it. <laughs> well, here's the truth of it. I don't often feel that I'm that good. Like, I'm, I'm happy when people enjoy the stories, but I deal with a lot of doubt and a lot of insecurity when I tell these stories. Uh, I, I guess the reason I'm able to, to write things across many genres, um, I read a lot. I just have always from as long as I can remember, ch early childhood, I'm an avid reader of anything I can get my hands on. Um, reading well above what people thought a five-year-old should be reading. By the time I was eight, reading full adult books and have never stopped. And so I've been exposed to so much. I often feel very comfortable going into different genres, though there are genres I don't feel well-equipped to tackle. For example, um, romance. I just felt like I haven't read enough romance to be as good at that as I am at some other things, though I am hopefully going to rectify that, read more romance, and maybe I can do some of that sometime too, confidently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I would love that. And I think all of that in itself is a testament to the work that you do. Um, and I guess a good segue into to the next question uh, is, is, is just that, like, what did your early childhood look like? Um, and where did those books come from? Were there, was it people just putting them in your hands or was it you kind of going out and finding those books on your own? Well, early childhood, I grew up in a, a very small factory town called Hopewell, Virginia, and my mom was a plant worker. She worked in one of the industrial plants, and um, our town made chemicals, we made tires, and my mom worked in a factory that made, like, industrial film. And if, if for if people may not even recognize what it is, but it's like the stuff that things are packaged in. So, like, potato chip bags will have the mm. substance that my mom's plant produced. And I, I bring that up because it was long, grueling hours. It was those jobs were the better paying jobs in that area. So for my mom to be on at one of those plants was to have the quote unquote good job. However, working at those hours and being a single parent, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, but specifically my grandfather. And my grandfather couldn't see very well. By the time he was in his early 50s, I think he was almost considered legally blind. And so he still enjoyed books, newspapers and things. And it fell on me to read things to him at one point. Um, he just couldn't do it himself. Like with the strongest glasses, the, the thickest lenses he could find, he still couldn't do it. And so I ended up reading things to him. 
And then it became a thing where because I like to read, I would want to read stories I enjoyed to him and he would entertain me and listen. And being such a strong reader at a young age, my mom just saw something there that she thought might be a way to help me avoid the fate of being a plant worker. Because as good as those jobs were, she always told me she didn't want me to do it because she felt like it was breaking down her body. Um, it's the sort of thing she felt. And it, it's funny because I just tell this story in speeches and people would laugh at it. Um, my mom didn't necessarily encourage me to go into arts. She always used to say, I just want you to have a job where you can have air conditioning in the summer. <laughs> wow. and, and so again, being my grandfather, being basically his eyes, learning to read very early and then enjoying reading. My mom just always figured if this kid likes books, books may be a way for him to get out of this cycle of hard physical labor that our family's gone through. Wow. Wow. I, I love hearing that because I know for myself, at least growing up, um, books was, it wasn't something that like, at least in my family or even in my community, something that we thought of as a way out. Um, we never heard the words you should you should read you should look at literature you should read this person etc so hearing that in itself um uh gives me a sense of hope because it happens right it's it is yeah. something that allows um people to find different avenues for for different ways of life and i appreciate that story can we talk a little bit about your grandparents um sure something about black grandparents <laughs> like uh, like Tell me about that experience um, growing up with them and then the influence that um, your grandfather had for you. So, you know, it's interesting because my grandfather was my primary caretaker when my mom was at work and my, my grandmother was alive, but their relationship was, was strange. And it's something I never understood and no one in the family talks about, but they didn't talk much. Like they were the type of grandparents that had separate bedrooms. Wow. Which I mean, you know, and I, I don't I don't know. I've heard other people in our community talk about having that situation where they might have grandparents that sleep in separate rooms, but I haven't heard it a lot. And so I don't know how frequent that sort of thing actually is. But like by the time I can remember when I was staying at my grandparents, they had separate bedrooms. They barely spoke. Um, and when I would stay there, my grandmother was often gone somewhere. I have no clue where. And me and my grandfather, he was, um, even though he, he had trouble seeing, he could still do his primary job, which was being a handyman. And so people around our town would call him to come and fix their appliances. And so my, our time together would be during the day. I, well, it was called, I would call it going on jobs with him. And he couldn't drive himself. So he had a buddy who was also a handyman. And so it would be me and these two old dudes going around town <laughs> fixing washing machines. I'm like seven, you know what I'm saying? And like, so, you know, and I'm in there like, you know, hand me, hand me the pliers, hand me the Phillips head screwdriver. So I'm, I, that's, that's the day if, if I'm not in school, if it's summer. And then in the evenings we're watching like Magnum PI and MacGyver and, and I'm reading to him. And I, it was, I was with him so much when my mom was working that for a time I was confused. Like I thought he was my dad and I couldn't understand how he was my dad and uh. my mom was his daughter. And they had to kind of explain this to me when I was like six or seven, because I, I, I just assumed that when that he, the, this man who was around me all the time must be my father, even though I knew I had a father who also lived in the same town. 
And mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where I, I, I latched on to him. Um, he's probably my best friend for a long time. So that's a, a seven-year-old kid with a 55-year-old best friend. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's just and, – and I saw nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like I was sitting here angry or like I wasn't mad at my dad for not being more involved. I knew him. He, I saw him actually quite, um, quite a bit because we all lived in the same town and I would go – visit my other set of grandparents, which was his parents, you know? And I think for the time he did the best he could, he just wasn't equipped to be that be around all the time type of father that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I um, love, I love hearing this story about him. I, I find that all grandparents, and I don't want to say all, but I know at least for me, I'll speak for myself, like grandparents always have their grandchildren working for them, no matter what. No matter what it is, you are always working for them. And I love that. I I love that they feel that it is your, like you are here and you're going to do work for me. I really, really love that. (laughs) I mean, even even if we weren't on jobs, it'd be the whole thing of like, like there weren't remote controls really back then. So it'll be like you could be in a separate room and they'll be right in front of the TV and they'll call you out of the room to come change the channel. You know, it'd be that sort of thing, Lamar, come change the channel eight. And so you got to run like across the house to change the channel. I love it. I love, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love, I love hearing stories about grandparents. Um, they are special people. Lamar, can you tell us a little bit about your schooling? Um, what did it look like growing up? Where did you go to school, I guess? And what did it look like for you growing up in elementary, middle school, and high sure. school? All right. So in Hopewell, at the time, I think um, it was five elementary schools that fed into a single middle school that fed into a single high school. And so the elementary school that I went to was called DuPont Elementary. And it was named after um, the, I, I think the DuPonts who eventually went on to make form like chemical companies and make paints. I think they had one of the plants in town. And when I was going there, and initially, I was in classes with children from my neighborhood, so a lot of Black kids. And I remember kindergarten and first grade, like, like just being super close to the kids in my neighborhood, or my grandparents' neighborhood, because essentially their house was my address. And at some point, maybe it was second grade, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was actually something where I took a test and excelled or my mom pushed for me to be in quote unquote gifted classes. But I can recall being in class with my neighborhood friends at a very young age, someone coming to get me and walking me to a different classroom and saying, this is your class now. And when I got in that classroom, I was maybe one of three black kids. Wow. And that was the way I did in, in, in rich, I was, I remember being upset because, you know, I wanted to be with my friends, you know, and mm-hmm. there was nothing from to be done to change this fate. And I remember it being like that all the way through the end of elementary school. And then when I went to middle school and all the schools in the city are, are feeding into this one place, I'm no longer with all these white kids I was in class with for the last couple of years. And I'm no longer as close to the neighborhood kids that I was friends with before. And so middle school was horrendous because when I showed up in class and it's a much more diverse dynamic in each of those classes and you're with different kids every class period, like I was immediately awkward, isolated, and I bullied. Um, The way I answered questions, the way I knew the answers to questions, um, being a strong reader, walking around with books, 
other kids from other parts of the city immediately saw me as this other thing and made it clear that I was, you know, and in the terminology back then, it, it, no one was claiming nerd was a cool thing back then, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was, black nerd. You talk like you want to be a white boy. Why are you reading those white books? Because I was a big Stephen King fan. Um, I found middle school to be fairly miserable. Wow. To the point that I, I didn't want to go. And my, it just freaked my mom out because up to then, I liked school. And I don't, I don't know if that's really a, like a uncommon thing for children at one point to enjoy going to school and seeing their teachers and then all of a sudden be miserable if they're not among like the social top tier, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so middle school was a complete struggle. Um, just three years of misery. And freshman year of high school started out similarly, compounded by the fact that's the year my grandfather died. So at that point, I'm just like, I'm destroyed, but also something is coming out of the wreckage that's that's going to last me the rest of my life because when my grandfather died, I was still a strong reader. And without him being there, for some reason, I got this idea, I'm going to write a book about my grandfather or write a book that he would enjoy because I'd already started playing with stories. And so after his death, I started writing the very first novel I ever wrote. But I also started to like have this fractured personality. Like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to interact with my peers. One of my best friends was now dead, you know. And saving grace was my older cousins because I was 14. And so like my one of my cousins who I worshiped, like I thought he was like a god. He's like, you know, tall basketball player, super cool, always had these really pretty girlfriends. Um, mm. sort of took me under his wing. Like, I don't think it's usual for a 20 year old to let a 14 year old hang around them the way he did. Mm-hmm. And sort of became like a social mentor to me. And I don't, I, I don't know, like I'm thinking back, like if, if I had a child that was 14, I'd be maybe a little worried that he's hanging with 20 year olds, you know, of course. but these are my, these are my cousins that my mom has known since childhood. And we're not getting in trouble. I'm, I'm walking over to his house and playing video games. They're talking to me about uh, what they're going to do on the weekends, the, the, the girls' phone numbers they got at the mall, how to talk mm-hmm. to girls. And so that interaction helped me start to adjust in high school. And I was able to, I wasn't really being myself. I was more emulating them. But emulating them was acceptable to my peers. And so mm-hmm. I began to be able to navigate social circles much better than I had when my knowledge was that of a 55-year-old handyman, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think, that, I think I find that so, I'm, I guess my question, no, you go ahead, you go ahead. I have a question, I want you to go ahead because you'll probably answer it, go ahead. Yeah, so I was gonna say like, at that point, I started to do much better in school all around. Mm-hmm. Um, grades are better, socializing better. By the time I finished high school, I'm, I'm writing for the school paper. Like everybody knows me as the guy that writes for the school paper. And they know me beyond that too. They see me out and about. So like I've sort of formed this identity as a budding writer who's also kind of cool. People like me. I like people. And I'm able to go away to school and basically grow. And the struggle then is what exactly am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because at that point, I don't know that writing is a career path. Wow. Wow. 
And what, what got you over that hump to say like, you know what, I am going to do this writing thing. Well, what happened was when I went to college, you know, like anybody else, my parents are like, or my mom is like, um, try to figure out what you want to do with your life. You got to make a living. I knew that. I knew I was going to have to go out and get a job. And the things I like to do, writing being paramount, um, people always told me that's not really a career you can follow. So now I'm trying to think of the backup. What is it that I can actually do? I, I'm, I'm a fan of technology. I'm a fan of mechanics because I, I learn how to fix things. But as I look at the majors that, that lean towards that tech engineering, the math component terrifies me because it's my worst subject. Like, I, I'm fairly certain I cannot pass any math class that is required to get one of these degrees. And that scared me off. And I ended up majoring in communications with an emphasis on mass media, because then I'm thinking like, well, maybe there's something I can do in television, film or whatever, because I still like those things. And by the time I'm getting ready to graduate, I absolutely have no job prospects. I end up getting a job with a company that does a boring thing I'm not going to bother you with. It's you're sitting in a cubicle crunching numbers in a spreadsheet. And I knew that was something I wasn't going to love doing the rest of my life. And because it was very hard to go into that office every day and sit in that cubicle, I'm like, look, I'm not going to put all my energy into this thing I don't love. I want to write. I've always wanted to write. I've been trying to get around it for years. Now I'm going to put energy into that every day. And if I just don't make it, I don't make it. But I'm not going to sit here and put my best energy into this cubicle. And that was the time I decided trying to go pro. And I just worked on it for like 10 years before I sold my first novel. Wow. Talk about resilience. Like you had every opportunity to stop. Mm -hmm. Like every opportunity, whether it's friends, family, the outside world, you not getting exactly what you want right away. Like you had every opportunity to stop. Um, And I guess my next question is like, what, what exactly made you not, is it, was it the passion that you had for the craft and the writing and the stories, um, or? Yeah, uh, sure, yeah, it was, um, first and foremost, I enjoyed writing. So it was almost like a break from just the everyday humdrum stuff I didn't love. Um, if, if I didn't love storytelling, I wouldn't keep doing it. And it's something I kind of stress to younger writers. I teach sometimes, and I always say like, hey, I mean, I want you to enjoy what you're doing and understand you don't have to do this. Like, I'm not here to tell you and boss you around and make you write things that make you miserable. And if you're miserable doing this, you may want to think about what you actually want to do, you know? Because there's no there's no guarantee this industry is ever going to let you in. And I don't say that to be discouraging. You're going to have to fight through that no matter what. But if you find you really don't like doing it, I want you to find what you're passionate about. I just happen to be passionate about the writing. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. That's it right there, right? And I think it's it's so nice. To, it's so refreshing to hear those kinds of stories, um, and specifically with writers, because again, as you mentioned, you don't often hear a lot of people saying like, you can be a writer for a living. Like that's something you can think about doing. Um, and especially for me, I'll go back to like my community, like for for kids to see people like you um, as a writer, a black male, black woman, etc. And I think that is so encouraging because we are often told all the time that that's not secure. It's something you shouldn't do. You need something that's going to 
nine to five, et cetera, like a regular schedule. Um, so I, I think those stories are so important to hear. Um, for Let kids. me ask you something. Yeah. Let me ask you something. What was encouraged in your community? Like, like obviously we're encouraged to go for the nine to five, the steady job, but like, were there mm -hmm. other things in your community that were encouraged? And, and I'm asking this because in Hopewell, it was sports above everything. It was and, always and, sports. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it always kind of, it's like, it's mind boggling to me. Like I've gone back several times and talked to students and it's always mind boggling to me that adults will push the sports as a potential out while mm -hmm. sometimes discouraging arts. And I'm like, you might have a better chance at the art, you know, um, yeah, more than likely yeah. statistics show. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it was always so strange to me that, that you'll, you'll put NBA dreams in a kid's mm -hmm. head and not saying you shouldn't, if they're good, but at the same time, if that kid says, you know, yeah, I'm good in basketball, but I also paint, the mm -hmm. painting will be discouraged. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's, there's probably more window of opportunity in the art if they're good at that too. I 100% agree. Like, I, I think I, I, for the most part, was lucky in a sense where my family did, like, I loved art growing up and I did art all the way through elementary, middle school, high school, and then almost went to art school as well. Um, but sports within the community was just like, you needed to play basketball. Like that was mm -hmm. like, if you don't play basketball, like you are not cool. Like that's kind of mm -hmm. how it was. And that was mm -hmm. that, that was from every family. It was like preached all the time. And you would never hear of people, not, I think not until recently, people going off to university because of them wanting to do like a business degree or like mm -hmm. they wanted to get into literature or they wanted to get into engineering or being a doctor like that stuff just was never preached or never talked about um and i wonder why like i, I wonder what that what how that cycle started i guess and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm even more curious now of how it's starting to shift and why it's starting to shift um but yeah i think yeah it's it's, it's a really hard thing to watch because you you also think about friends you think about family members who if would have had those other opportunities or pushed towards something not even like you said not even just basketball but also include the other things um mm -hmm. you wonder mm -hmm. what could what could have came out what could have came out of that so yeah i totally i totally agree with you um, i have just a couple more questions for you and i think your story is so interesting um Talk, can you talk a little bit about family um, mm -hmm. not, and not just what it means to you, but how do you, I guess, how do you, how do you build a strong family during these times when mm -hmm. things are just really tough? Like what are some things that are keeping you guys together? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You're, yeah, because right now, like, you know, we're going into almost a year of mm -hmm. having, I'm married, so I live with my wife, so we see each other daily. But we have parents, uh, I have siblings, and I could probably count on one hand how many times I've seen all of them in the last year. Wow. And I don't think that's an uncommon story. Wow. And the thing that we found has been nice, and, and you and I talked a little bit about this before we got on, is like the, the technology we have allows us to 
bridge that gap somewhat because we have FaceTime and we have Zoom and we have speakerphone. And so my wife talks to her parents probably nightly. And I will talk, I will hop on and speak to them whenever she's on. If I'm doing something, I'll talk to them the next day. And then me and my mother and my sister will get on a phone twice a week. And if something if something happens, whether that's something funny or something dire that we need to know about, we'll we'll alter that schedule. But ultimately we have we we get on and talk two times a week. Um a couple times a month we'll hop on FaceTime so we can see each other. And that's been the way we stay connected when we can't physically be around each other. Um, but I also recognize that that's a small segment of larger family. Like there are family members I haven't seen or spoken to at all in the last year. Um, mm -hmm. I think I may have spoken to my dad twice, though we'll text from time to time. Um, I have other siblings, um, like you know, half brothers and sisters. Um, I have my older half sister. I don't know that I've talked to her at all. Um, and as I'm rattling this off, I'm making a list of people I need to reach out to because time's so fluid and it gets away from you. And I don't, you know, the world we live in, you don't want to have regrets. Mm -hmm. I 100% I agree. And I asked that question because of, yes, the times that we're in and the people just out there, I think, asking the question themselves, like, how do you continue to stay connected when there's so many things happening in the world that are making you isolate um, Wait, from You know, I mean, to the point of the, the, the bi-weekly call and my wife's nightly call, I mean, I think it has to become a priority like you put on your calendar Ooh, almost, at least for us. That's you know, like, like you, have to, you have to make that note, I'm going to call and check on so-and-so. Um, mm -hmm. Text messaging is a godsend because I probably am better at texting friends than I am at calling them. I mean, I have several individual texts and group texts going all day, every day. Um, mm -hmm. And that keeps those groups, I think, fairly close. Yeah, I agree. Making it a priority for sure. Lamar, I want to thank you so much for just hanging out and sharing your story with me today. Um, where can people find you online? Um, the easiest place to find me is my website. It's my name, lamargiles.com. And from there, you have access to all the social media. Um, I enjoy Twitter most, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And I love to hear from anybody that wants to reach out. I love it. I love it. And can you just share with us, you have a lot of books out, but can you just share with the audience your latest book, which I love? The latest book out is called The Last Mirror on the Left. And it's book two in my legendary Austin Boys middle grade fantasy series. And in this book, my, my heroes who I love, Otto and she, cross through a mirror into another world to chase a fugitive. Um, but as they go on this wacky hunt, they have to consider whether they're actually serving justice or helping to corrupt it. Amazing, amazing. Lamar, thank you so much, man. Oh no, thank you, thank you. Dude, yeah, this was so much.